good morning. My name is Greg Gertis. Um, I want to welcome everybody here today and welcome all those who are returning or new to, um, and those who are new to Beijing or CCC. And, and although all of us come from different areas of life and different walks and different countries and backgrounds, there's one thing that kind of drives us all, and that's results. We all want results. In physical training, in education, in business, in, in medicine, in all of life, for that matter, we, we want results. If you go to the gym regularly, you work out, you lift weights, and you watch your diet, you want results. You want to look fitter and you feel stronger. Um, when you study diligently at school, for years pouring over material in your homework, you know, you expect results. You want to pass the exam and have a mastery over the subject matter and actually being considered to be an expert in your field of study. When you implement a new business plan at the office or release a new marketing, you know, angle or scam, let's say, um, the, uh, the, you expect results. You, you are hoping that it's going to improve your customer base, um, improve your profit margins. When you feel sick and you take medicine and you drink, you know, that nasty stuff that we can get from the Chinese medicine doctors here, or you get extra sleep, um, you expect results. You want to feel, you know, beat back that illness, feel stronger so you can get back to life. In each of these cases, a result was desired and actions were taken to accomplish that result, whether it was an increase in strength, knowledge, financial return, or health. And in John 15, Christ reveals to us our Father's master plan and his desired results. And in this passage, he uses a very particular word that we're going to deconstruct today so that we might have a better understanding of God's desired results for our lives. We'll see if you guys can figure out what that word is, all right? But first, let me pray, and, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for all the people gathered here. Be with those who are not here, wherever they may be, even in other countries and traveling around the world, in sickness and health, and fill them with your spirit. Father, thank you for the opportunity for us to share this time together in community, jointly worshiping you. Thank you for the music that rouses our heart, and may our spirits continue to rouse now. And in the words of your servant David, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. So today's scripture reading, uh, you guys might be a little bored from it. We've been going over it quite a bit, but it's John 15, 1 through 11, and 16 and 17. Now I want you to really listen here for God's word for results. We're used to talking about the word abide. We're going to step to the side on that one. So I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Each branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to, my disciples, and prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Jumping to 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command to you, that you love one another. This is the word of the Lord. So, did you figure it out yet? What's the, the important word that we're going to talk about today? It was mentioned eight times in this passage. God's word for results is fruit. And this is such a beautiful and deeply encompassing parable that Jesus teaches us. But there's a problem with it. And it's not with the message itself. It's with the audience, us. See, we as a society are so distant from the land that it can be truly difficult to understand, you know, all that's being said in this, this one-minute parable. I mean, how many of us actually grow our own food anymore? Unlike the Chinese culture that surrounds us every day. I mean, look outside your door. They can grow in any small plot, dried up, barren plot of land. They can grow something. It is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Yet there's only probably a handful of you sitting here who've actually grown any crops, tended a garden, let alone produce edible fruit and nourishing fruit. I know we got a farmer over there who has, right? All right. But my, my, my parents understood this. They grew up in, as farmers in Minnesota, and this is the place where they sent all good, hardworking Dutch-German immigrants back at the turn of the century. And their parents... My grandparents were farmers before them, and their parents' parents before them were also farmers. As far back as I know, in my, in my ancestors, once they arrived in the U.S., we've been farmers. And it means tilling the soil, planting seeds, pulling weeds, pruning plants, and harvesting crops. And although my parents left the farm to start a new life in the city of Chicago, they didn't forget what they learned on the farm. As long as I have known my father, he has maintained a garden and to love to grow a variety of, of, of plants. He was really loved to grow flowers and fruits and vegetables in our backyard. And as a child, I remember, you know, being in the backyard, and though I don't consider myself much of a gardener, um, I do remember watching how those plants would grow, you know, and a simple seed was planted and it would sprout to begin to grow, and you'd watch that, that tree grow up, and then little bit buds would appear, and from that bud, we'd see that fruit, and it would grow bigger and juicier and strong, you know, better looking, until I had the best part, which was eating it, so after all my father's hard work. The people of Jesus' time understood this concept, um, and today we're going to talk about fruit. We're not going to talk about apples or oranges or bananas or exotic fruit like dragon fruit or durian. I don't know why anybody would eat that anyways. But we're going to, um, what we're going to talk about is results or the fruit of the Spirit. And what they are, what they mean to God, and what they should mean to us. So anyone who's trying to get results, the first thing that we need to do is understand what are the results we're trying to pursue. And so, so let's begin by defining what fruit is. And we're going to actually use Paul's letter to the Galatians, Galatians 5, 19 through 25. Paul says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, 
hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In this passage, Paul unravels for us two areas that are very, very important. First, the acts of the flesh, which are many, and whose result is not inheriting the kingdom of God. And the second is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it's interesting that Paul doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. He, he, he uses the singular term. And they then list nine characteristics of, why, of what, they, what they are. Theologian um, A.W. Tozer has a great way. I like how he explains how this is, what that means, why he only uses the singular form of fruit. And he uses the example of light. Light comes to us, and we see it as a white, as a white light. But anyone who's taken any basic junior high science course knows that, white, that light is just not white in itself. But it's actually broken, broken up into a whole spectrum of colors. When we pass it through a prism, we see all these colors come out. And it's all based on the wavelength of, all those, of, of the light passing through this prism. The Spirit of the Lord, when it actually passes through us, as a result, has, we have all this variety of attributes that we see that are in, that, that Paul mentions, these fruits. And if you notice, these are the exact same attributes or qualities that Christ showed us while he was on earth. Tim Keller gives a great definition of these qualities, and he breaks them down a little bit more. So we'll go, th- go over each one, starting with love. It means to serve a person for their good and intrinsic value, not for what the person brings to you. Joy, a delight in God for the sheer beauty and worthy of who he is. Peace, meaning a confidence and rest in the wisdom and control of God rather than in your own. Patience, an ability to face trouble without blowing up or um, hitting out. Kindness, which is an ability to serve others practically in a way which makes me vulnerable, which comes from having a deep inner security. uh, Richard talked about fear and having that inner security Goodness, being the same person in every situation rather than a phony or hypocrite. Faithfulness, to be utterly and reliable and true to your word. Gentleness, to live in humility and self-forgetfulness. And finally, self-control, the ability to pursue the the important over the urgent rather than to be always, um, always impulsive or uncontrolled. The interesting thing about these nine attributes is like in light. They are all buried within the spirit. You can't just pick and choose which ones you want of the fruits of the Spirit. Well, for example, I don't have any patience for my neighbor when I'm driving on the streets of Beijing. I don't. But I love my family, right? And so, you know, if I'm showing that, I must have the fruit of the Spirit flowing through me, right? No, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. If the Spirit is throwing, flowing through you, just like that light through the prism, all the spectrum is seen. Every aspect of the the fruits of the Spirit are seen. So now that we know what fruit is, we've gone through fruit, you can find it there in Galatians 5. 
what does that mean to God and what should it mean to us? You know, and although many books have, um, could be written on this, I only have 15 more minutes or so. So we're going to have to condense it down. And I've got five points that I've gleaned from John 15 that I think we need to take into account, that we need to think about. Number one, our sole purpose in life as followers of Christ is to produce fruit. Verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the gardener, takes away. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If we read this passage correctly, the only true test on judgment day is, was there any fruit? You have, been, you, <clears throat> you have been made and grafted into the vine, and for one person purpose, and that is to produce fruit. Too often we think of salvation as a, as a safety net, something that's supposed to save us from our sins and from ourselves. But what about salvation for the sake of bearing fruit for God and for man? Isn't that what the gospel is actually all about anyways? Christ sacrificing himself for God and man. In verse 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, than the one who lays down his life for his friends. God calls on us, demands us to bear fruit. Period. The second one. Not only does the Father want us to produce fruit, he doesn't stop there. He wants us to produce more fruit. Verse, verse 2, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear, bear more fruit. So based on horticulturists, those are guys who deal with plants, there are generally three reasons for, for pruning plants. One is to shaping them. So pruning is done in the early years of a fruit's tree growth and is focused on shaping the tree to a functional, strong structure. The pruning process allows you to choose the best branches to form a balanced and shaped tree. The second is for production. Pruning reduces the amount of wood and so diverts energy into the production of larger flowers and or fruit. Trees that are regularly pruned actually produce fruit with higher sugar content and consistent ripening. And the third is health. Regular pruning keeps a tree, an overall tree's health. A strong, vigorous tree is less susceptible to damage from environmental factors, disease, or pests. So God's pruning in our lives although it seems awfully uncomfortable at times, is in, to enable us to bear higher and better, higher quality of fruit. The end, desire, the end result is not to be a bigger branch. It's not for the sake of the branch itself. It's for the fruit that is on the branch. Nowhere does it say, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will become a bigger branch with lots of other branches off of you. It actually, it, it's not that a branch is going to be admired for the branch. No, God wants the branches, all the branches attached to the vine. And he wants fruit to come out of each branch. So that when you, the branch, start to become more focused on yourself, like Paul was mentioning in Galatians, and not producing sweet fruit, God prunes us. And how does he do this? One, through his word. You are already clean. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. God's pruning is in his word. He says again in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The other way he does this is actually through the body of believers that are around you. Yes, we have to rely on those next to us to help correct us. 
Pastor Robert Longman writes, the early church understood this. They didn't go around saying, I have the Holy Spirit and thus I need no human teachers. They instead took each other aside and corrected each other. Those who understood the Christian way best taught it to their fellow believers. Even the apostles were not above correction. They understood that by mutual education and correction and the use of discernment and the power of the Holy Spirit, they could grow as Christians. The evidence of that growth was fruit. And finally, through life's challenges, God will even allow difficulties to come into our lives to make us more reliant on the nourishment of the one true vine. Why? Basically, because it's the best learning tool for us, whether we like to admit it or not. In the words of Corrie ten Boom, who lived during World War II, during the time of the Holocaust, she was protecting Jews and trying to help them escape from the Nazis at the time and was captured. Somebody turned her in. And she spent years in a, in a concentration camp. And her words from that were, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. So she understands that even in our darkest hour, the spirit, it's when it's in our darkest hour, the spirit becomes more real to us. And this is part of the Lord's pruning process. The third, the third item is the fruit is not about you and it's not for you. If the fruit is not about us and not for us, then what it's, what's its purpose? In verse eight, Christ says this, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. The fruit is for the gardener who's delighted and glorified by blessing all of his creatures and giving them fruit to feed on. The branch does not consume its own fruit, rather it is for the gardener to use and to show his love to others. Just like somebody at one time showed their love to you and showed you how to become a branch on the vine. Arthur Murray puts it this way, there is possibly no way of living for God, but by loving and living for the men who he loves and lives for. The human life in Christ could be nothing but surrender to his love, to be used in saving and blessing men, whether in God or in Christ or in us. The divine life to love to, love to men. This is the life sap of the true vine, the spirit that was in Christ Jesus. So point number four is, you have been appointed to be a branch and not a pipe. So what do I mean by this? So if we think of a pipe, let's think of a hose. Through a hose, we'll trans a hose will transport fluid through it. And it allows water to go through it. And it can be used to, to, to feed plants with water. It can be used to put out a fire. But the hose does not gain any nourishment from the water going through it. But a branch is far different. A branch is connected to the vine, and not only does it serve as a conduit to provide living nourishment of the vine to the fruit, but in the process receives nourishment as well. As the nourishment feeds the fruit, it also nourishes the vine as the lifeblood of the vine pumps through it. So what does that mean? In verse five, we read, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him, he bears much fruit. Or apart from me, you can do nothing. The life bud moves through us. Not only are you producing fruit for the gardener and thus for others, but we, we must also seek to receive the spirit of Jesus Christ in ourselves daily. A daily giving up of ourselves to his service to love others as Christ has loved us. 
What does that look like? Well, in Christ's life, it was in thought, word, and in deed. And let's start with the deed, our works. Your character and your conduct are fruit. What non-believers are missing in themselves should be seen in the manifestation of the fruit in our own lives. This is something they're missing, and, and many of them desire, and they want to see, see this beautiful fruit and are encouraged by it and are lifted by it and are drawn to it. And it's our works that help show them that. Second is our words. Christ spoke of the gardener, the Father, and his love for us. We must also speak of the gardener and the vine and how the... And the and the vine and the spirit which flows through us. And finally, it's through prayer. We have the power of prayer. Just like Christ interceded on others' behalves, we can intercede and pray for others. In verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 11, these things that I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. This is not a, a what we see nowadays, a name it and claim it philosophy. I want this, so I need to pray for it so God will make me happy because I need to be happy. And this is not, oh, somebody's hurting me, so God help stop this person. Actually, this is an example, the example that Christ gave to us. Rather, if we abide in him, and like Christ, we then can intercede on others' behalf and pray for them. I rely on the prayers of many people in this church in my daily life. And we should be praying for each other to lift each other up, praying for that person next to you, praying for even the challenge that, that somebody, Christian and non-Christian alike, that, that the life of Christ can, can be in, in their life as well. And finally, the last point is, God doesn't want temporary fruit. He wants abiding fruit. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. This is a very humbling verse. He chose to bear fruit through us. And the only way for us to produce lasting fruit is by allowing the Spirit to work through us. And guess what, guys? It's a process. The tree just, the branches, and go, mm, apple. It takes time for that fruit to grow. It's a process. And Christ gives us the one key that we need for that to happen. In verse 17, this is what I command you, that you love one another. John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. If you can remember this one principle, if take away this one principle from today in your life, you, you will do well in producing everlasting fruit. For those of you who haven't, as we had you know, we talked with the Alpha Group. For those of you who haven't accepted Christ as your Savior and have not been grafted into the vine, the gardener is calling you or else you wouldn't be here. And he wants you to be nourished by the vine. And he wants you to produce fruit. For those of you who are already grafted, he wants you to be nourished by the Spirit. And in doing so, produce everlasting fruit.
it's just plain and simple. The gospel message is for all of us. Those who have not come to Christ yet and those who have been followers of Christ for years, it's the gospel message is for all of us. So I'll revisit, I'll call up the worship team back up, but let me revisit the five items that I talked about. So first, our sole purpose in life as followers is to produce fruit. And we, we looked at, we saw those fruit. It's in Galatians 5. Read through that and see what the fruit is. Second, not only does the Father want you to produce fruit, he wants you to produce more fruit and accomplishes that through pruning. Yes, it sometimes is difficult, but he, he does prune us. The third, fruit is not about us and it's not for us. It's for the gardener. It's for our Father. And so that we may share his love with other people. Number four, you've been, you've been appointed to be a branch, not a pipe. We need to be enriched daily by the Spirit ourselves. And finally, God doesn't want temporary fruit. He doesn't want imitation fruit. He wants abiding fruit. He wants us to abide and follow him. He wants us to show his love to everyone. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the parable of the vine. Thank you for the sacrifice of your son and the example he gave to us by, choos by choosing to follow your spirit and your will, even though it meant death on the cross. Lord, sometimes we don't understand what you are doing in our lives. We don't understand the difficulties and struggles. We, don't, we even don't understand why we are here and where we're going. We feel forsaken and just plain lost. Lord, following you doesn't always make sense, and abiding you is not always a clear message. But please, work in our hearts to know that serving you is infinitely better than serving ourselves. Let your spirit flow through us, that we may love one another and produce everlasting abiding fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.